the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to Southern California Live. This is hour two of our broadcast today. We're on every day from three to five right here on KKLA 99.5 FM in LA and surrounding counties. And we are on KPRZ in San Diego. Thank you for listening to our program. It's great to be with you each and every day where we take the issues of the day and uh, we talk about them through a Christian perspective. And one of the things we really want to do here is always give hope. And it's so hard because sometimes just things seem so difficult, right? If I click on just about any news site today, there's going to be bad news. There's a lot of bad news and bad numbers and bad figures. And okay, we have to talk about that. We got to live with it. We got to make sure that we push through all of those things. I think one of the advantages of being a little bit older, if if you're a lot older, then you kind of look at those things. And some of you are just like, oh, pish posh, you should have been here in 1962 or whenever. And you've got some reference for a time where maybe it was worse and we lived through it. And we do, you know, people, people always push through. And I think one of the reasons for that is because God has a plan. God has a plan for where we're going that is not going to be thwarted. Have you thought about that? God's plan for the salvation of the world, the plan for Jesus coming back, the plan for the gospel being proclaimed around the world is not threatened by inflation. Uh, Inflation might slow it down a little bit. You know, airfare costs more, harder to send the missionaries, harder to maybe buy the materials if you're translating the Bible into other languages, but it's still going to happen. The January 6th hearings, whatever comes about from all of those, it's not going to hinder the plan of God at all. Whoever wins the election this November, not going to hinder the plan of God. The war in Ukraine, not going to hinder the plan of God. Frankly, all that stuff is part of the plan of God or it it fits in. But at the end of the day, what we're going to see, and something we want to emphasize with all of the different things we can talk about on our program, what we want to emphasize is that Jesus's church is going to prevail. As messed up as we are, the mission of God is going to prevail. And one of the ways it's going to prevail is the gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, just as Jesus says in Matthew 24, 14. And then he says something else that's intriguing, and then the end will come. Matthew 24, Jesus is responding to a question from uh, his disciples who said, uh, hey, tell us about uh, when things are going to end. Tell us about the end of the world. That's a, that's a topic that everybody likes to talk about now and then, right? Um, when are these things going to happen? And the first thing Jesus says is, watch out that no one deceives you. That's really the first thing. You know, Jesus' concern about the end of the world has more to do with us paying attention to where we are now, because frankly, the world's going to end for all of us uh, most likely before he comes back anyway, right? I mean, you, you get 70 or 80 years, and then you go meet Jesus. That's how it works. Some people get a little longer. Some people get a little shorter, but you're going to meet Jesus one way or the other, and, um, except for the very last generation. And Jesus wants to make sure that we stay focused on the mission, that he calls us to go and make disciples. One of the last things he told us was go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey. Don't ever drop that word out, obey. People do. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded them. And then he promises to be with us. 
lo, I'll be with you until the end of the age. He also tells us that the gospel is going to be spread to the whole world, all of those nations. It means people groups, right? Not countries necessarily, people groups. And that is something that continues to happen. And I just want to give you some encouragement for that. And I have a guest with us uh, this segment to talk about that. His name is Doug Cobb. He is the author of a book called And Then the End Will Come. He is the founder of an organization called The Finishing Fund. It's an organization that funds different ministries that take the gospel to unreached and unengaged people groups. And um, he is well-equipped with stories of families and villages and people groups around the world being transformed by Jesus Doug, thank you for joining me on Southern California Live. Welcome to the show. Scott, thank you for inviting me. It's great to be with you. Yeah, Doug, it's great to be uh, to have you with me. I had the opportunity to meet you a little while ago and hear a little bit about your story and uh, what you're doing. Tell us about yourself and how did you become uh, somebody who is really focused in on these, on making sure that the gospel is still reaching these people groups around the world. Yeah, I'm a business guy. I live in Louisville, Kentucky. I have a wife, Gina, of 42 years, three grown kids and a couple of grandkids, a couple on the way. My career was in startups and growth companies. We started some companies. I got to sit on the boards of some other early stage companies and sometimes the investor. So that was my career. But along the way, um, I started to become aware of the things you've just been talking about, the the um, the, the pro- possibility that our generation could be the one to see the Great Commission task completed, to complete that job that Jesus gave us in Matthew 28, 19, of going and making disciples of every people group on the the planet. And the more I learned about that, the more excited about it I got. I was volunteering with some organizations and being uh, tutored about these things. And in 2017, um, God put on my heart the idea that maybe capital uh, money would be an accelerant to this process, that ministries who otherwise would love to go to a group but just didn't have the funding to get it done, that they would move faster if somebody had money available to make that happen. And that, that really is the genesis of the finishing fund. We're uh, we're an accelerating ministry. It, it's interesting. It's it's the finishing fund is kind of like a venture capital fund for the Great Commission. It really reminds me a lot of what I used to do back in my startup and growth company days. It looks a lot the same. You know, it's a way to accelerate the effort to get the gospel to these last groups. Yeah, I think that's really uh, an amazing story about how God has used your career, and you've had a pretty good career as a founder, and uh, you've been. Uh, uh, doing a whole lot of things. You were a three-time Ernest and Young Entrepreneur of the Year, uh, according to your LinkedIn, which I'm, uh, you know, stalking you on at the moment. Yeah, God uh, was amazingly good to me in my career. So, you know, startups are kind of dicey. You never know which ones are going to work, and not all of them do, but enough did in my case that it was a good career. Yeah, that's really great. Do you ever watch uh, Shark Tank? I have watched it a few times. It it makes me a little bit, you know, it gives me the chills a little bit. I remember being in rooms like that and having right. to answer questions like that. Yeah, I've been on both sides of that table, in fact. Well, I think of that a little bit about how you have uh, taken the, your experience and your understanding about how this works, and now you're applying it towards the kingdom of God and the mission of God in the world. How is it going? And, you know, as far as the gospel reaching the world today— um, and especially people groups that have not been reached. What is the status? Uh, how close are we to reaching uh, every people group that we, we know about? 
Scott, um, God's Spirit is working in amazing ways and with urgency around the world. And let me, I know numbers aren't great for radio, but let me give you a couple of simple numbers to illustrate how how fast this is happening. Um, the list we work from says that there's about 12,000 of these people groups around the world. In 2005, the best we could tell, about 3,500 of those 12,000 were completely unengaged with the gospel. Nobody had ever been to them to tell them about Jesus. So 2005, there were 3,500. In 2017, that number was down to 1,450, so 3,500 to 1,450. Today, um, you know, best I can tell from the list I'm working with, we're at about 115 groups that remain unengaged, uh, where there's no project underway to to get to them. So from over 3,000 to just over 100 today over the course of about 17 years, it, it, it is amazing what God's uh, Spirit has done and what God's people have done through His power over the over the last few years. It's happening so quickly, and I want people to be encouraged by this because, you know, so much of the news today about the church in our country, you know, there's a lot of scandals going on. You know, we have to fess up to that. There is uh, scandals in the church, sex scandals, there's division, there is the the COVID, and and maybe 30% of people haven't gone back to church, uh, the studies are telling us. And if those are the things you keep hearing all the time, maybe you're hearing the church isn't isn't moving forward, then, you know, there are some people out there who are talking about Christianity being on decline and those kinds of things have been saying that for a while. But, you know, what I want people to know is that that's not true, that in spite of ourselves, in spite of the horrific things that we need to deal with as the church that are, you know, that that are being revealed, and I would say that the Holy Spirit brings those things to the surface as embarrassing as they are because they are cancers that need to get out of the church. God is God's church is prevailing. Discipleship is happening throughout the world, um, and I think the approach that you're making here is something I think that is encouraging to our listeners. You wrote a book called "And the End Will Come: The Completion of the Great Commission and Nine Other Clues That Jesus Is Coming Soon." That's an intriguing title. Yeah, well, you know, the, first, the the main title, and then the end will come, comes right out of that verse you quoted a minute ago, uh, Matthew twenty four fourteen. In that verse, um, Jesus links his return to the completion of this Great Commission task, and it's very highly motivating to me in the work that I get to do, but it's incredibly exciting to think that we may be, you know, so close to seeing that work completed and the door to our Savior's return um, opened for the first time. You know, sadly, very few people know uh, any of these things that we've just been talking about. Uh, You know, Barna did some research, and he found that maybe one in six Christians in the pews could um, give you a really good definition of the Great Commission. Very few people are aware of what's happening at the frontiers, you know, in these very, very remote, difficult places where these last groups exist. And um, and you're right, it, it is wonderful to hear about that in the face of the very difficult things that, you know, we face in the in our culture and, and even in the church. I, I love what Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter four. He says, Therefore we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen 
because what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. We, we, mm. I know for me, my eyes tend to be drawn to all the things that are happening around us in the politics and you know the economy and so forth. And you know those things are real and you have to pay some attention to them. But Paul says that the coming kingdom of God, which is unseen, is more real and more enduring than those things, and that that's what we should really be putting our attention on. I I find that it helps my attitude quite a lot when I'm able to do that. Yeah, that's great. Uh, great word right there is that God is doing all kinds of things, even if we don't see it. <clears throat> and the yep. the uh, the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church. This is going to happen. When you are uh, working and you get stories of uh, families and, and villages, what are some of the, you know, maybe an interesting story about the gospel coming to a, a village in more recent times uh, that you have heard about? Yeah. So I just got back from a trip to the country of Ethiopia to visit a particular people group that we have helped engage. I'm not going to name it. Uh, please forgive me for that. But for security reasons, I don't oh, want to yeah, do that. Sure. But it's a, a remote people group um, in uh, you know a very distant corner of the, the country. Uh, this people group would have been entirely Muslim until about three years ago. In fact, um, this people group is one of the people groups that is a source for the al-Shabaab terrorist group, the Muslim terrorist group, Mm. which is kind of um, al-Qaeda of the Horn of Africa. And so this is an extreme place. Um, About three years ago, we helped fund a project to go to that people group. We were seeing almost no progress the ministry that was organizing decided to try to do a medical clinic. They partnered with an Ethiopian um, medical ministry to go do that. They showed up. On the day they showed up in this place, it rained for the first time in months, which the people there regarded as a great omen for the folks who had arrived. And during that trip, um, while there were many medical interventions that were helpful to people, but there were a couple of uh, miracles that took place. A girl who was blind had her sight restored uh, through prayer. A um, young man who was deaf uh, had his hearing restored. I learned on this trip that um, in the days before the team arrived, that several people in the village, including leaders, had dreams which in which they saw the face of the team leader uh, and we're told that, you know, when he comes, he'll be bringing good things to the village. You should you should welcome him. And so, you know, we see God's um, spirit doing in 20, whatever year that would have been, 2019, uh-huh. um, exactly the same things that he did in, you know, uh, AD 55 when Paul and, you know, was going to these places that we read about in the book of, of Acts. He's moving with power to um, validate the testimony of his people. There are now in that people group about 150 followers of Jesus. About 15 of them have been baptized, uh, and more are eager to do that literally at the end of the earth. I I don't think you can go much further out than that. You're going in towards some place when you pass that place. Literally at the end of the earth, God's Spirit is at work, and people are being called into God's kingdom. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. My guest is Douglas Cobb. He's the author of And Then the End Will Come, The Completion of the Great Commission, and Nine Other Clues that Jesus is Coming Soon. Um, Doug, that's a great story. And just to see that God is moving this way around the world, I think the 
Oh, there's a lot of people who feel like this generation is close to the end. And there's, I, you know, it's every, every generation has thought that, right? The, the first generation thought this is it. Um, but I think that the difference now is that when you, you have to be really careful, right? People make mistakes when they connect the dots. And we, there are books written about people being the Antichrist. You know, you can still find Gorbachev as the Antichrist somewhere out there, um, <laughs> right? And you make you make terrible mistakes when you really, you know, make those sorts of bold claims and then they turn out to not be true. However, there are so many things that today, even if your dot connecting isn't very good, it's not out of the question that this is the end. Um, it's, you know, there's not something that's so far off. Like if you had to say that, well, this can't be the last generation because every people group hasn't been reached. Uh, what did you say uh, the timeline is that we think maybe every people group will be reached? I'm still working really hard to, to get started in all the rest of those groups by the end of this year. Um, yeah. It may not happen. That's my timeline, not God's. But, right. um, you know, it won't be long after that, I think, that we'll be started in all of them. Well, just the fact that you can say that. So if it's not this year or even if it's in the next 10 years, right, just the fact that we're that close. Yeah. Uh yes says something profound about this time, and then we're looking at a world of chaos. We're looking at technological advances in money and computers that make it possible, for example, for somebody who might be a tyrant to actually control the marketplace and buying and selling in the world, which, you know, that's, it depends on what you believe about the end times, but most people believe there will be a man of lawlessness, an antichrist, who people will will worship, and he'll, if you don't, he's going to shut you off. Right, and you won't be able to participate. It wasn't too long ago that that wasn't really technologically possible. Now it's completely possible. Uh, yeah, those we see things the first are signs of that kind of thing all around us. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that is something that is uh, it's encouraging. It also should bring us um, the right kind of uh, righteous fear of God that God is going to complete His plan, uh, at, not on our timing. It is going to occur. It is something that uh, we should be seeing in the world today. What are some other things? Your book title, your subtitle is uh, Nine Other Clues That Jesus Is Coming Soon. What are some of those other clues that you talk about in your book? Yeah, so, you know, the way this developed for me was um, becoming aware of the promise of Matthew twenty four fourteen that the completion of the Great Commission was both at hand and an important you know, clue for the return of Jesus. I, I started looking at the Bible to see if I could find other things that would similarly indicate that we're living in the season of his return, not to try to pin it down to a day or a year, you know, not to say right. this is exactly when it's going to be at a fool's errand, I think. But, um, but you know, to say, uh, you know, is it reasonable to think that we are likely to be that generation? And so some of those are things that people are, you know, generally pretty aware about, things like um, the reestablishment of the nation of Israel, um, you know, really a, a, a historically unprecedented, really miraculous event um, that God has accomplished in our generation. Uh, you know, it, it's hard to imagine how hard to imagine that idea would have been for people that lived even 100 years ago or 200 years ago that the nation of Israel would be regathered. There's just really no example right. of that ever happening. What's really remarkable, it's an unbelievable apologetic for, for the existence of God, is that God predicted in Deuteronomy 30 that he would do this, right? Deuteronomy 28, he says, if you disobey, I'm going to scatter you among the nations, and you're going to live a horrible existence for a long time. 
the promises there. And then, but then in Deuteronomy 30, he says, you know, when you know all these things have happened, I'm going to regather you to your uh, to your homeland. And so, you know, we see that uh, that thing happen. Um, and then, you know, we have Jesus in Matthew 24 indicating that the regathering would be a a sign of his return. In fact, you know, many people think he promised that the generation that saw that happen would likewise see his return. Uh, that's how I would read what he says in, in that chapter as well. So that's one that many people know about. One that I kind of like, um, it, just because it's so easy to miss uh, when you're reading your Bible, is in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. It just says it kind of very casually that um, at the end, you know, at the time of the end, uh, people will move to and fro and knowledge will increase. And, mm. you know, you, you could read that chapter a whole bunch of times and kind of never really even pay attention to that. It's just one short little little verse. But um, when you actually dig into that and realize that, um, you know, we live in a time of unprecedented travel and unprecedented knowledge um, like the world has never seen. Uh, you know, imagine that 200 years ago, you know, the fastest anybody had ever traveled was the speed of a galloping horse. And right. now we get on airplanes and travel at, you know, 600 miles an hour and can be anywhere in the world in 24 or 36 hours. It's it's unimaginable to people who lived a little while ago. And, you know, technology, Who? what do I need to say about that? You know, the internet and the explosion of information and the accessibility of it. So, you know, another sign, just a kind of a little little clue that God gave us in, in Daniel 12, that um, the things we see today are the things that um, he said would be characteristic of the time at the end. That's right. That's right. I got to take a break. We'll be back with my guest. His name is Douglas Cobb. He's the author of a book called And Then the End Will Come, The Completion of the Great Commission and Nine Other Clues that Jesus is Coming Soon. It's giving us hope that in all the chaos, God's plan is still coming to fruition, and it's happening pretty fast. We'll talk about a little bit more when we get back after our break. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. We'll be back in just a few moments. Don't go away. Welcome back, everyone. Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. Great to be with you today. This Thursday afternoon, we are talking about the fact that Jesus' church, that the mission of God is proceeding very, very quickly, just as the scriptures said. And with us is Doug Cobb. Doug is the author of a book called And Then the End Will Come. And he's also the founder of The Finishing Fund, an organization that funds ministries that takes the gospel to unreached, unengaged people groups. Uh, Doug, before we left, we were talking about the amazing truth that the Bible has predicted things for thousands of years that we're seeing come true uh, in recent times. We were talking about the passage in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, that talks that says many will go here and there to increase knowledge You know, at the end times. And uh, it's amazing how things have changed in 200 years. George Washington got around exactly the same way that Jesus Christ got around. Uh, nothing changed in that period of time. And think about how different it is now 200 years later. Yep, it's amazing. Yeah, the Word of God is coming true. So as we, we talk about those things, and you talk about more in your book, what would you say the average church person needs to do about it right now? As we think about these things, hopefully we're encouraged 
to not be discouraged by the some of the discouraging things we see on the the news what do you what would you say to uh, the regular churchgoer how should we uh, take this information about what God is doing and respond well one thing I, I think would be to to understand um, that the things that we're seeing happening around us were also things that the scriptures predicted would be the case. Um, uh, Jesus related the you know time of his return. He he said it would be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. And if you look at what he says about that in Luke chapter 17, it um, he's pointing out one thing, which is that in those days nobody knew judgment was coming. They were going about their regular lives as if nothing was going to change right up until the moment the you know the raindrops started falling until the mm. the fire fell out of heaven. But it's interesting that he picks those two particular uh, times in world history, which are notably times of great wickedness on the the earth. We know about Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, in the time of Noah. You know, it said every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. I'm not sure we're quite there yet, but, um, you know, we certainly, it feels like we're moving in that direction. And so even the things that discourage us that are happening around us are things the Bible predicted would be true in the times of the end. Also, some of the things we see going on in the church are predicted in the Bible mm. uh, as things we would see as we get near the near the end. But you know, um, it's interesting. You love it when the Bible answers a specific question. In Second Peter chapter three, that whole chapter is about you know the times of the end. And Peter, in chapter in verses eleven and twelve, he he asks and answers a rhetorical question. He says, "Given that this is getting ready to happen, it's going to happen. What kind of people ought we to be?" Speaking to Christians, and yeah. he says four things: we should live holy and godly lives looking forward to the day of God and speeding its coming. So, you know, the call is to be holy, to be distinctive, to be godly, to be moving on with that journey of sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ, to be eager for uh, the things that are coming, the return of Jesus, and then to do everything we can to finish the the task that he's given us to do so that uh, the door will be open and the return can can take place. Um, you know, that's kind of my go-to verse Pray, I pray that a lot for myself and ask my friends to pray it for me that I will live a holy and godly life as I'm looking forward to the day of God and speeding its coming. You know, I think that um, that is a great response to how we should respond. And I think it's why God is, I think he's stirring things up in the church. I think that's why lots of uh, sin and evil behavior that's been in the church is getting exposed, right, and comes out because he doesn't want that in the church. And it's a reminder nope, right. that if we're going to be holy, uh we have to get there now, that this is something that we can actually do. Um, yeah, your book, I think that's uh, exactly right. Yeah, where's the best place? If someone's interested in reading your book, where's the best place they can get it? It's called, And the End Will Come, uh, The Completion of the Great Commission and Nine Other Clues that Jesus is Coming Soon. Yeah, it's uh, like everything else. You know, Amazon yeah. uh, is, the, is the 800-pound gorilla, so that's an easy place to to find it, it's also at uh, christianbooks.com, so if you want to find it there, you can find it there if you prefer not to buy from Amazon. And then theendwillcome.com is the website, and you can click through there to several places to purchase it. So, and then theendwillcome.com. And then theendwillcome.com. And Doug, before you go, tell us a little bit about the Finishing Fund, um, what that is, and how someone can connect with you there. 
Yeah, you can find out more about that at finishingfund.org. Um, there's a web page there that does a good job of kind of explaining what we're doing. We're we're a kind of a major donor effort. We organized it from the beginning to, you know, try to recruit folks that could write fairly big checks because we run it on a shoestring. Um, I'm a volunteer. I don't get paid. There no other staff other than me. Um, and, uh, you know, so we really have a, a lean and mean organization. Uh, but if you go to the website there, it'll tell you some things about what we're doing and um, give you a link you can click through and give me an email and we can talk more if you'd be interested. So that would be finishingfund.org. All right, finishingfund.org, and that's how you can reach Doug, Doug Cobb if you're interested in that. I want to encourage you to read his book. It's called And the End Will Come, The Completion of the Great Commission and Nine Other Clues that Jesus is Coming Soon. Doug, before we go, anything else that you'd like to uh, share with our audience that you think they ought to know and be encouraged by? You know, I, I do think that it's hard for folks in the West um, even with some of the things that are going wrong these days, we we live in the safest, richest, freest place, really, mm. that anybody's ever seen on the face of the earth. And it can be hard for us to imagine that what's coming could be better. Um, but I love what the scriptures say, you know, that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has the mind of man imagined what God has in store for those he loves. We should be so eager for Jesus to come back. The things that he has prepared for us are so amazing. We should be so excited about it. That is a great, uh, a great point. We are, we are so comforted here. <laughs> and, uh, we this are. Is, and this is nothing like what we're going to have uh, when we're with the Lord. It's so, uh, it's so insignificant, really. Uh, Doug, thank yeah, you for you joining know, I love me. The fact, can't even imagine it, you know. Yeah, can't even imagine it at all. Doug, thank you for joining me on Southern California Live. It's great to have you, and uh, best of luck to everything that you are doing. And we're excited about the completion of uh, every every people group here in the gospel, and then the end will come. Scott, thanks for having me on. It was great to be with you. Doug, thank you very much. All right, that was Doug Cobb. He is the author of And Then the End Will Come, The Completion of the Great Commission, and Nine Other Clues that Jesus is Coming Soon. You know, it is, um, when you really look at the scriptures, you can join me if you want to give me a call and join the conversation. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. It, uh, I hope that it's encouraging to you. It's encouraging to me that, you know, we, we can get so sidetracked. And it's important, I think, that we talk about the news. It's important that we pay attention. It's important as citizens that we're engaged in the processes of politics and things that happen. But it is insignificant compared to the kingdom of God and what God is doing in this world. And that's where our joy comes from. This is where our, our goal is. And I do think, I think God's stirring up the church quite a bit. I, I don't know what God is doing for sure. But I was having a conversation with somebody earlier today, and we were pointing out this, the statistics is still showing that even though the pandemic really is over, uh, and it's, it is over, uh, if you go out and you go someplace where it's just crowded, I mentioned yesterday I was at the fair. That place was packed full of people. Uh, I had to go back to the fair for another event last night and after the show. And I went there, and it's wall-to-wall people. I haven't been in a crowd like that in forever. I can't even tell you. Nobody's wearing a mask. I walked through going, oh, everybody's got the COVID, but I think we're sort of just spreading it around. And I know that there are some people for you. It's not over. You know, there's 300 deaths a day, I think, in the United States. You know, there's still that's still happening. But for the most part, Things have come back. The fair is open. The ballparks are open. The beach is open. The indoor experiences are open. And a lot of people are going to that. But the studies are still saying that 
still 20 or 30 percent of people who were in church before the pandemic are not back in church. Can I ask you something? If you're one of those people, why is that? Did you give up on Christ? Were you Had you already given up and now you feel the freedom to go? Do you just get out of the habit uh, of going to church? Maybe you feel like the pandemic's still on, I'm not going to go. Uh, I got to tell you something. You know, it's kind of over. In fact, in the, the press briefing at the White House today, the um, press secretary was, was getting grilled because she didn't have information on President Biden's last COVID test. When was the last negative result? And she kept getting grilled on that. And I don't know if it's, she didn't have that information because she wasn't prepared or maybe she didn't have that information because they're not doing it as often. Um, you know, you could say, well, maybe he had a positive one and they didn't want to say because most people who are getting the positive ones today, which is a lot of people. I know a lot of people right now who have the COVID, lots. Um, I don't know anybody in the hospital. Uh, there are a few, uh, not that many people though. Um, but my, my impression watching this as I thought, you know what? The White House thinks it's over too. Like they're not saying that. And they're promoting the, the vaccines to the infants that are being approved this week and all of that. But they're not saying it's over, but they're acting like it's over. When the press secretary doesn't even think it's important to have the president's, the nearly 80-year-old president who is at the highest risk factor uh, or one of the highest risk factors for getting the COVID, she doesn't even have the test results. I think it's because they don't think it's that relevant to them in the same way it's not relevant my point is not to get into what they're thinking. My point is to get into your thinking. Are you going to church or are you afraid to go or are you just out of the habit? Let me encourage you to go and get back into fellowship. And online's not as not as good. It's a, it's a great convenience if you're sick or if you're traveling and you can stay connected with your church, uh, your sermon series, whatever you're, you know, you're looking at but get back in church in person. And the reason you should do that is not because I tell you to do that. It's because the scriptures tell you to do that. All right. Don't take my word for it. Uh, you need to get into your scriptures and in the book of Hebrews where it says, you know, some of you people have uh, not been going to church and you need to get back into church because the day is coming. It's talking about the day, capital D, that's judgment day. Um, that's a pretty big deal. And as we're talking about the end coming, you know, I don't want to stand in front of Jesus and go, uh, yeah, you know, the pandemic came and I just stopped worshiping you and with other people and I stopped gathering in your church. I just kind of stopped going, Lord, and I don't really have a reason. You know, do you really believe Jesus? Uh, if you really believe Jesus, then you got to believe his word. And it's commanding us to go to church. It's commanding us to be connected with each other. Can I encourage you to do that? Find a good church. Uh, you're not going to find a perfect church. Don't look for that. You're not going to find it. Find a church that preaches his word, that moves people together to do what his word says in the areas of making disciples um, and uh, becoming holy, just like what we are challenged to do. 888-528-2557, if you want to join our conversation. This is Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. We'll be back in just a moment. Stay tuned. Hi, everybody. Southern California Live Thursday afternoon. Scott Furrow with you. Got some plans for the big weekend coming up. I don't know if it's a big weekend necessarily for you. It's Father's Day. Is that Father? Yep, yeah, Father's Day. I'm a dad. Got to check that out. Is it Father's Day weekend? I heard some comedian have this routine about Father's Day, and he was pointing out that uh, 
Christmas is the number one holiday celebrated in the world. Number two, or in the country, number two is Mother's Day. Father's Day is somewhere around 20. <laughs> and he said, I can't even think of 18 other holidays. He says, why is Arbor Day ahead of Father's Day? I don't even know what that is. Uh, and uh, that that's pretty funny. Tomorrow on our program, uh, it's not funny really when you think about that. I don't know if that poll, that, I don't think that's true. Uh, do more people celebrate Arbor Day than uh, I think he was probably using some comedic license there? Um, but it tends not to be as big a deal as Mother's Day. Um, and maybe that's because as dads, we don't, you know, what do we want? You know, we probably want a nap. <laughs> I think that's what I want. Uh, does your church do something for Father's Day for uh, dads or for the men? Let me tell you what, if you're still thinking about it, and I know how it goes with church, lots of churches, you're still wondering what we're going to do for Father's Day. Or, or right now you're in a you're in a staff meeting and you're listening to the show because you should, obviously, in your church staff meeting, listen to the show. And you're saying, he just said it's Father's Day. Is that right? This weekend is Father's Day? One of the greatest things ever that we came up with one time for Father's Day, and we give this to all the men, is a root beer float. You know, what do you give? One year I gave out ties to everybody because it's just what you do. You, you give a tie, right? It was kind of silly. And uh, we have some fun with it. One year we gave out not just root beer floats to all the guys, but we gave root beer floats with a full-on cooked crispy piece of bacon sticking out of it. And every every man at the church got a root beer float, ice cream, root beer, whipped cream, and bacon sticking out of it. And it was a hit. Somebody said that as a joke in a meeting. And I said, nope, we're doing that. They said, well, you know, I was just kidding. I said, nope, you're not kidding. That's wonderful. That's what we want for, for guys. Uh, did you, you have any great ideas for uh, Father's Day? Good things that fathers would want? You can give me a call. Let me know. 888-528-2557 is the number. 888-528-2557. I think uh, dads are fairly easy to please. I just like to be with my family, go to a ballpark, go, to a, go out to eat. I'm not really kidding about the nap. That always sounds pretty good to me uh, these days. But being with my, my family is is a good deal on Father's Day. And if it includes some bacon with root beer float, uh, I'm down for that. You know, there's one of those restaurants out there. I shouldn't mention the name of the restaurant probably. I think it's owned by a guy named Denny. And they put out this bacon menu like once a year where there's bacon and everything. There's bacon in the pancakes. There's bacon even in the ice cream. There's some kind of bacon shake. And uh, it is uh, a wonderful thing. Um, there might be people no longer alive because of that. So, uh, you know, just have to be careful with uh, how much bacon you intake. There must be a maximum, um, but uh, it's pretty good. And then I know, I know some of you, you're like, ooh, I don't really want bacon in my ice cream. Well, don't knock it till you tried it. That's what I want to tell you. Um, hey, you know, and thinking about that Father's Day, as you think about it this weekend, you know, we, we talk about how it can be kind of a hard thing once in a while. Uh, remember that your father in heaven is your best father. I'll bet that there's a lot of churches singing that song, Good, Good Father. And uh, for a while, it got kind of overdone, I think, right? But uh, it's a pretty good song because it reminds us that we have a father in heaven. It reminds us that we're family. And if you're struggling with Father's Day for different reasons, you know, keep in mind that you've got a father in heaven. And that this isn't just some sort of, you know, thing that a religious person might say to bring you comfort, right? This really matters. The it, the theology of understanding that you have a father in heaven, your creator, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, you have 
you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, who is God, who is beyond our our capability of understanding, even describing his makeup. We we say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's clear that the Bible teaches three persons in one God in that way, but it hardly gives us the ability to even understand how all of that works. But one of the ways that I think helps us understand that God is our Father, we'll probably talk about this more a little bit tomorrow, but if you're listening now, I just want you to remember this. If there is a good Father... What I want as a father, what I'm hoping for, is that my kids will talk to me. You know, I have a 13-year-old now, and you go, at what point does he just stop talking to me? It hasn't happened yet. Hope that doesn't happen. Ten-year-old, you know, he's still telling me everything. But, you know, at some point we get to that age where, you know, I don't know, sometimes it's just kind of hard. But what you really want, I think, as a father is you want a father that you can talk to, and you want a father who will listen. And you want to be that father if you want to be a good father. And if you are struggling with your parenting, you haven't been a good father, maybe because you've been estranged or maybe because you're just too busy, maybe because you can't keep your nose out of your phone, maybe you have a lot of problems and you haven't been able to. There's a lot of reasons I know that. You know how you start being a good father? You start by being a good listener to your kids, however old they are, by the way. Uh, whether they're they're five years old and they're going on about something or they're you know, eight years old and they're telling you all this stuff about Minecraft and you turn on Minecraft and you don't even get it. Um, and, <laughs> and I'm that dad. I'm like, I don't understand, you know, this. This looks like an old video game. What are you doing on here? Well, we're uh, building things and we're we're mining for things and there's all this stuff. And you play this for hours. But, you know, understanding that, it's, uh, it's pretty cool, um, all of those things. What I'm getting at is this, though. You know, your father in heaven, the, the basis of prayer, we talk about prayer all the time as, oh, we need to pray more, and we need to pray for our country, and we need to pray for these people who are leading, and we need to pray for each other. Yep, we do. You know, the first question, I think, is do we actually pray, or do we just say we need to pray? You know, we know that's sort of the default Christian answer, right? We need to pray. We get criticized for prayer because every time we have some violent event or some terrible thing happens, somebody says thoughts and prayers, and, and often thoughts and prayers are all you can give, and they are valuable. And yes, a lot more should be done when there are things to do, but sometimes you're, you know, especially if it's across the country or something else, there's not a lot more you could do, but prayer matters. But when Jesus instructed us to pray, this is what he said. He said, Matthew chapter uh, 6, verse 5, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Lots of theology we won't go into right now in the last couple of minutes right there. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. See, there's something powerful about that relationship that you have with God that's there's an element of privacy. Now, there's plenty of scriptures about praying with other believers, and that's great but there is something between you and God that you do in private in prayer. And when you pray, verse 7, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Uh, Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. You ever have your kids, if you've got kids, or maybe you're a kid and maybe you've tried this with your dad, you just use a whole lot of words and you're trying to uh, convince, trying to manipulate, or trying to explain the great thing about being dad, if you're paying attention, is you already know what's going on kind of with your kids. Once, you know, partly because you were a kid, partly because hopefully you're tracking. Uh, that's 
why when you pray to God. You don't need a bunch of words. You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to say the right things. Man, we get into some bad theology with that. You know, just sometimes our theology is just something personally we've made up. You ever pray with people and there's somebody praying who's like incredibly eloquent and you're just going, man, this is a great prayer. And then I'm next in the prayer circle or whatever. And I'm going to be embarrassed. I don't know what to say. Don't. God is not impressed with people's eloquence. He knows what's on your heart. If the eloquence is what's on your heart, great. But he's, he, that person is not closer to God because they can speak with eloquence. God wants to know what is on your heart. He already knows. And then he teaches us how to pray. And this is why I think it is so important. Okay, you ready for this? The basis of prayer. I've said this before, but I repeat it a lot because I think we forget. And I know that there's always new people listening. It matters so much. Basis of prayer. Ready for it? This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom will come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. I'm reading fast because we are running out of time. But you know the scripture. You've probably, this is probably the biggest memorized piece of scripture here, the Lord's Prayer, right? Some of you are in traditions where you say it all the time in church. Um, if, if I go up to a microphone at an event, even a secular event, a political event, or just some secular, you know, a you know, the pancakes marching in chowder society and I get up and I, if I go to a, an event and I say, hey, let's pray. And I say, our father who art in heaven, half the crowd knows that they'll just pray right along like it's a part of it, right? We know this scripture, but I think we miss the profound beginning of it where it's our father in heaven. See, that's the basis of your prayer. It doesn't say pray to your creator. He is your creator. It's amazing that he's your creator, Hard to even understand that he's your creator. It doesn't say pray to your king. He is your king. He's the king of kings. He, you know, he is the king. But it doesn't say, you know, your highness, dear sire. It doesn't say dear creator and master of the universe. How do you talk to that person? It says our father. It's relational. See, God wants to hear from you because he's a good father because he already knows what's on your heart. He knows what you're struggling with. He wants to have that relationship. He wants that authenticity like a really good dad would have. Whatever your situation is for Father's Day, um, make sure that you realize that your, your father in heaven is your true, true father, and he wants to hear what's on your heart. He is always there. He is perfect. He never goes away. He doesn't die. He doesn't abandon you. He doesn't um, threaten you. He is full of grace and truth and mercy and discipline because we need that from a good father. And if you have a great dad, I'm blessed with a great dad. I, I really am. And it's great that I can still call him up and say hi. But whatever happens, I still have a father in heaven. Keep that in mind as we think about Father's Day. All right, we're back tomorrow. God bless you. Scott Furrow for Southern California Live. I'll see you tomorrow at three o'clock. Have a good day. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.